praise be to God. Please be seated. As we go to the Lord in prayer, please hear the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me? Now I know that the Lord will help his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories by his right hand. Some take pride in chariots and some in horses. But our pride is in the name of the Lord our God. They will collapse and fall, but we shall rise and stand upright. Give victory to the King, O Lord. Answer us when we call. Lord God Almighty, today we gather in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. We want to pray, Lord, today and to honor those who have served our country and even yet serve today. Lord, as we see the pictures of war, we are reminded of its destruction. We hear of the young men and women who are dying, and our hearts are touched and broken. O oh God, we dare to, in this hour, cry out to you for peace. Help us to learn the ways of peace, the learn, to learn the ways of Jesus. And we pray that those who serve not only our country, but every country around the world, might soon be able to come home to family and friends and enjoy the peace that you would have for us. Lord God, as we pray today, we are also aware that this is the birthday of the church. It's the day upon which the Holy Spirit came and anointed those who love you. And we pray, God, that our spirits might yet be open to your spirit. Lord, we pray that as we worship today, as we open our hearts to your spirit, that we might be open to the forgiveness of sins that you have for us. Lord, we pray that our spirits would be open to the directions in which you are calling us. We pray today, Lord, that our lives might be open to hear your voice moment by moment, day by day, and that we would respond, yes, Lord, we'll love you, we'll follow you, we'll serve you. Lord, for the, the person today who's troubled or burdened or sick or discouraged, we pray especially that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might lift them up, encourage them, set them on their feet again so they may praise you and experience the joy that you want for our lives. Lord, we're going to give you the glory for all you do in our hearts today, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Moab, Utah is mountain bike Mecca. Moab, Utah is to mountain bikers what the Mardi Gras is to musicians. Moab, Utah is to mountain bikers what Broadway is to actors. Moab, Utah is mountain bike heaven, and I've been there. And I'm thinking of a Saturday about noon, first 24 hours of Moab. It's a mountain bike race, and it starts on Saturday at noon. It ends on Sunday at noon. It's a relay race, so you run laps. And you have a team, it might be a two-person team or four-person, ours was five, thank God, and we would do laps. Now, I was there because somehow my kids had talked me into going. I think the reason was that I inflicted so much pain on my children when they grew up that they decided now was their chance to inflict pain on Dad. And so there I was, uh, the fifth rider, and I was waiting to go out. And as my turn came... 
Uh, it was about, uh, the race started at noon, everybody was doing their laps, and it was about 6 o'clock in the evening when somebody handed the, bath, uh, the uh, baton to me, and I tucked it away, and I got on my bike, and I began to ride. Now, this is, we're just amateur racers, but for some reason, I was so nervous, I was shaking like a leaf. My heart was about to burst. And I started down that road, pedaling as fast as I could, and after about a quarter of a mile, I said, I think I'm going to collapse. I'll never make it. Not only that, I said, I'm going so slow. And I looked down. I was totally in the wrong gear. I was in the easiest pedaling gear you could possibly be in, so I wasn't going fast. And I said, Steve, calm down. Get control of yourself. Pay attention to what you're doing. Just ride the best you can ride. So I took off and did this race. Now, about halfway through it, I'd been riding for about 45 or 50 minutes, I had already finished the uh, tough section of the race. There were parts of this race that literally gave me nightmares. I would wake up dreaming about falling. And I had made it through that without falling, so I felt good. And we came to this long stretch where it's just a fire road, and it's a place where you can just ride. It's very easy. It's flat. And I thought, wow, I was drenched with sweat, and uh, thankful I had made this first part of the race. And I decided maybe this is a plant place where I can kind of check my, uh, catch my breath, drink some water. You know, I can kind of take a little break. And about that time, a voice went off in my head. Because earlier in the day, our son Roger, who is the mountain bike racer premier, I think he realized Dad wasn't taking this seriously enough. And so he pulled me aside and he got in my face and he said, Dad. I said, yeah. He said, this is a race. Race. You can rest when you get back. Listen to me. And so I'm out there riding, thinking, I'm going to cut back a little bit and catch my breath. And this voice went off, Dad, this is a race. Race. You can rest when you get in. And so I got it up in the big ring, and I kept riding hard. And every time I've raced since then, when I am tired and I think I'm going to slow down a little bit, a voice goes off in my head, Roger's voice, Dad, it's a race. Race. You can rest when you get in. Now, today I want to talk to you about your life, and I want to compare it to a race. Now, if you're a mother with small children, that's not a stretch for you, because you get up in the morning, and you cook, and you clean, and you work, and you take care of kids, and you collapse into bed at night. You realize, I've been in a race. But probably for all of us, there's a sense in which we realize our life is somewhat like a race. And uh, we need to Think about that today. Now, this morning, I want to uh, ask you to help out here and to go to, to uh, the Scriptures, Philippians chapter 3, if you would, and to look with me to this passage. It's on page 198 in your uh, Bible, page 198. And if you'll follow along, we're in Philippians chapter 3. And this is rather an extraordinary passage, as Paul is writing from a prison somewhere in the Mediterranean, and we're talking about springing into joy. And as we talk about that, in this passage, it's as though Paul, it's as though we open up his chest cavity, and it's as though with his chest cavity open, we look in at the very heart of Paul, and we can just see his heart pounding. As you look in, you, you realize, what's this guy made of? What's his passion? What's he about? And so this morning, I want to encourage you at... Uh, that we're, we're having an opportunity to really kind of look in and hear the Apostle Paul and what drove him and what helped him run his race. And you can think about your race as well. 
Now, I've challenged you to be reading through this little book, four chapters in this letter called Philippians. How many of you have read through Philippians recently? Let's have some accountability. Good. How many of you are going to read again this week through the letter Philippians? Good. And the reason is I want this to become very familiar to you. So if somebody just started reading Scripture without giving you the reference, you'd say, oh, that's Philippians, because you know it so well. So what I'd like to do today is as you think about your life as a race, I want to ask you to ponder your purpose, to think about why are you living? What are you trying to accomplish? What's the point anymore? So I want to ask you to ponder your purpose, and I'm going to raise up three questions to help you do that. And uh, these questions flow right out of Paul's conversation with this church in this letter. So let's, let's get started. Are you ready? Memorial Day weekend. You don't have anything to do this weekend, do you? So we can just kind of relax in Philippians chapter 3. There's a lot here. This is an extremely rich passage of Scripture. The first question is this. And uh, by the way, do you have your little note sheet in there? Let me see those. I lost mine. But yeah, you've got them. Good. The first question is this. And you may want to answer that question in the space there. What are you really good at? That's the question. What are you really good at? And as I'm talking now... Just think about things you enjoy or that you're really good at. But before you do that, let's read the Scripture. So would you read with me from um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, at least part of the verse. Let's read. If anyone else has reasons to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Now, as Paul is writing to these folks, he begins to, as some translations actually put it, he begins to brag. He starts bragging, and we can see that in verses 4, 5, and 6. And he's bragging about who he is, what he's done, what he's accomplished. Now, some of you don't like that word brag, but I encourage you to look at the Scripture and see if you don't agree with me. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel and of the tribe of Benjamin. That's his pedigree, a Hebrew. He said, when it comes to being, and remember, Paul lives in a very racist society. And he says, when it comes to being the very, you know, being born from the best stock, I am. I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Benjaminite. And so he's 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 lifting up his birth, his pedigree here. Then he says, uh, when it comes to the law, I'm a Pharisee. He had gained this status. He, uh, what's the big country club over here on Orange Grove? I don't even know the name, but there's some expensive, exclusive, you know. He was a member of the, of the elite of the elite in his community. He's a Pharisee. He was in a position of power and prestige. And then he says also in verse 8, come to the, when it comes to persecuting the church, he had zeal. And as to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. Paul saying, I, I had a great life. I was doing great things. I was zealous for God. I had achieved a great deal. And this morning, as you wrestle with the question, uh, as you ponder your purpose in life, what are you supposed to be doing? Uh, it's good to, to note, what are you really good at? What is your passion? What gets you excited? Now, the reason I'm asking the question is that if you're living your life doing something that you're not very good at, then you're not going to like it, right? And if you don't like it, you don't have any joy. And joy really is a characteristic that we're supposed to have as God's people. Now, I'm not saying we're never sad. Of course we are. We get brokenhearted. We get touched with all sorts of emotions. But there ought to be, as part of the foundation of our life of faith, a deep sense of joy. There was for Paul. Because he was doing what God wanted him to do. 
And so think about that with me. What really excites you? What thrills you? What are you gifted in doing? And jot that down. I hope you'll answer that question a little bit. Now, I want to move on to another question. Not only ponder your purpose and and say what you're good at, but here's the second question. This is a serious question. What must you leave behind in order to get ahead? Hmm. Now, I'm going to read from verses 7 and 8. We're just going to put up a, a, a portion of that scripture, but I'm going to read the whole thing. And I want you to listen for words of contrast, because Paul talks about gain and loss. He talks about garbage and surpassing greatness. Now, listen as I read. In verse 7, Yet whatever gains I had, these have, I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and regard them as garbage or rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Did you hear that language? Gain, lost? Now, what did Paul lose? Well, he, he has just given us this list of all his accomplishments, what he was really good at, and he said, you know, for, for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, I've put that behind me. I've lost it. It's gone. Because I have something far better to pursue. And so as I ask you questions this morning to ponder your purpose, what you're doing in life, one of the things you have to realize is that in order to go up, you have to get rid of some things. In order to move ahead, you have to leave some things behind. Now, if I could write out what... Uh, Paul was doing, let me put it in my own words, but uh, Paul's language, kind of my paraphrase. Paul might say this, you know, I thought I had it all figured out, life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. And it was good. I was good. I was passionate. But then, while I was doing the very thing I was good at, harassing Christians, Christ blinded me with light and everything changed. I saw for the first time that my goodness would never be good enough. I saw that Christ offered me his goodness free of charge. So I gave it all up so that I could know Christ. Christ has grabbed hold of me, and all I want to do now is to hang on. Now, time out a minute. Let's go back to Moab. Why did I go race with Moab? Every time I was out there doing this, uh, that very night, when I went out for my night lap, it's pitch black. I've got these puny little lights with me. It starts snowing. It's 30-some degrees. I'm freezing out there, sweating and freezing. And I'm wondering, what is wrong with you? Why are you out here? I'm certainly not out there because I'm going to get some prize and a lot of money at the end of the race. That's not going to happen. So, so why was I out there? And as I thought about that, in order to be there, I had to leave some things behind in order to be there. You can't just decide on a Friday, oh, I'm going to go race mountain bikes on Saturday. You won't even get halfway around the course. They'll be bringing the ambulance. So what did I have to leave behind? Well, for weeks, actually for months, with the kids by myself, I would get up early in the morning. I'd go out and ride my bike. I'd spend four, six, eight, ten, twelve hours a week on that bike getting ready. I had to leave behind some TV shows. I can't sit on the couch and watch TV all day. Had to leave behind some junk food. Are you with me? If you're going to go forward, there are some things you have to leave behind. If you're going to go up, there's some things you'll need to let go of. And I want you to think about that now. In fact, write down on there, what are some things that are holding you back from the very purposes God has for you? 
Now, for some of us, it may be some certain sinful behavior. You know it right now. You can write it down. But it may not be sinful behavior. It may be just that you're kind of locked into doing the good, but you're not doing the best. And you have to leave some things behind. And only you can answer that for yourself. I have to answer it for myself. But the question is, what are you going to leave behind? Now, how many of your students, that is, you're studying for something? Would you raise your hand up high? Look around. A lot of students in here. Kind of scaring me. Uh, when you go to finals, when you take a test soon, you know about leaving behind, don't you? You can't stay all the time at Starbucks and pass your tests. You can't... Uh, I don't know what do students do. You can't just hang out or go to the beach or fool around with your friends all the time. You have to say there's a time to crack the books. I'm going to get along with myself and my studies. And so you leave something behind in order to prepare for your future. Every student knows about this. My mom and dad have been trying to sell their house for about six months. They finally got an offer this week. It's accepted. It's gone into escrow. My parents both turned 80 this, this year. Now, some of you have already experienced this, but they're experiencing selling their home to downsize, to move to a little apartment in Atherton. It's a huge downsize. My mother has enough dishes to fill this room, practically. And for literally five years, she's been giving them away, selling them, giving to the daughters-in-law, you know, downsizing, because she realized, I'm coming to another stage of life, and I'm going to have to leave some things behind in order to prepare for this new stage. And I don't care if you're six years old or 16 years old or 60 years old or 106. We all go through this process of leaving things behind. And Paul talks about it right here. He left so much behind as he began to follow Christ. So I want to challenge you. Uh, what is it that you must leave behind as you ponder your purpose? And it's difficult. Some of you who have experienced already what my folks are going through. It's hard. To look into that future, it's a little bit scary. You don't know what it's going to be. It's hard to say goodbye to certain things. But that's a part of life, and that's part of getting ahead in life and going forward in life. And I want to encourage you in that today. What is it that you need to leave behind in order to get ahead? And then there's one more question that we're going to look at. Uh, our, well, before we go there, just a couple more examples of this. Uh, Think of Jesus when he went and called the, the men who followed him, when he went to Matthew, the tax collector. What did Matthew leave behind? His tax table. You remember the story? He went to James and John, fishermen. And it says what in Scripture? They left their nets and followed Jesus. So this bit about leaving behind, it's not unique to Paul or you or anybody else. We all go through it. It's a part of life experience. You just need to think about it and make some choices so you end up leaving the right things behind and taking the right things with you into your new future. So what are you going to leave behind as you ponder your purpose? What are you trying to accomplish? What has God called you to do? And are you willing to, to leave those things behind to go forward into your future? Now, one, one more question. Are you pursuing the prize? <laughs> the younger you are, the more this is true. There are lots of things to do with your life. You've got a lot of options. People sometimes come to me and they're all depressed and discouraged and act like there's only one thing they can do. I, don't, I never buy that. We've got so many options in this country. We have so much freedom, so many possibilities. It's just rich with opportunity. So don't tell me you don't have anything to do. There's all kinds of things out there for you to do. But are you pursuing the right prize? Are you pursuing a prize at all? Now, as we look at Paul, and this is where it really comes down to the 
critical part. It's like his chest cavity is open and we're looking at his very heart pounding. Paul, what gets you up in the morning? What keeps a smile on your face when you're in a Roman prison? Paul, how is it that you can talk about joy throughout this story when you're not even doing what you thought you were going to be doing? Because you got locked up. And, and we have the opportunity. Listen to me. Listen as I read these scriptures in uh, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, before we go through this whole verse, normally we think chronologically, we think Good Friday comes and then what? Easter. I'm sure glad somebody didn't say Christmas. It's Good Friday, the time of suffering, and then the resurrection and Easter. But in this passage, Paul flips it around. He doesn't write like that. Paul says, here's Easter, and then here's Good Friday, and then he comes back to Easter. Watch how this happens. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. See the resurrection? And then what? And share in his sufferings. Now, he's not writing about several things here. There's only one thing Paul wants. That's to know Christ. In knowing Christ, he's going to experience the power of the resurrection. And then there's some other stuff. He's going to experience Good Friday. The fellowship of his, or the sharing of his suffering by becoming like him in his death, somehow that I may obtain, and here we go back to the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead. It's a great passage. But underline that part, I want to know Christ. That's Paul's passion. Now let me go to one other verse. Paul says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Would you read that with me? I press on toward the goal of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to explain what Paul's not doing or not talking about. He's talking about, and you should picture a runner running a race, leaning forward, striving to get to the finish line, tired. And that's Paul's imagery here. He's not talking about, or Paul's not saying here that he's running against someone else. Paul's not competing with someone else. Uh, in other words, he's not running against Simon Peter so that one of them gets the prize and the other one doesn't. Your race is not against me, mine's not against you. It's an individual thing. And as we run our race, the prize is what God has for us uniquely. He's got a prize for all of us if we run well. So he's not competing against somebody else. Let's leave that language aside. Secondly, Paul's not trying to win heaven. He's not trying to get saved here or, or earn God's favor. Let's be very clear about that. Paul already said, Christ has taken hold of me. In chapter 1, verse 21, he says, I'm confident that the one who began a good work in me will complete it. What Paul's talking about here is not salvation. On May 18th, Joyce and I celebrated our wedding anniversary. Now, when I buy gifts for her, when I send her a card, when I give her flowers, when I say, honey, I love you, when I affirm Joyce... Am I trying to get her to marry me or keep her married to me? I hope not. You see, we put that ring on a long time ago, and we said our vows, we are married. So what I do is not meant to make us married or even keep us married, because we are married. It's my way of expressing my appreciation and affection. And so it is as we run the race for Christ, it's our way of expressing our appreciation and Uh, affection for one another and for Christ. So Paul's not trying to earn salvation. What is Paul trying to do? Well, Paul is trying to do that. He says, I want to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. 
there's a reason for your life. Do you realize that? You're not an accident. If I could use the young lady on the front row, she's going to have a baby soon. God's a part of this, right? And God's a part of your life. He's a part of every life here. There's a reason right now for your life. There are things God's got for you to do. You can miss them if you don't pay attention. And our pursuing the prize is to say, Lord, today as I get up, how can I run to please you? What is it you have for me today? And as you ponder your purpose and get up in the morning and realize Christ has got a reason for me to be here. And that's what Paul is about here. Now, there's one more thing I have to say. There's a fill in the blank there. You see that one? When you race, race, remember, multitasking is for losers. I know everybody wants to talk about multitasking today and how many things can you do at once badly. Um, But let me tell you something. If you race, you don't multitask. That's for sure. Multitasking in a race is for losers. Let me explain that. Paul writes right here. Look at what he says in the Scripture. In fact, let's read this together. Um, But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You hear the emotion in Paul's language? Pressing, straining, forgetting. This one thing I do, I'm pressing towards the prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a great example of this. In um, 1954, Roger Bannister, a medical student in England, was a runner, and he ran the mile. And at that time, people thought that the four-minute mile might be a barrier no one could break. In other words, it had been standing for nine years, and they thought, you know, it's probably not humanly possible to run a mile in less than four minutes. Well, Roger Bannister began to train, and uh, he and another fellow, John Landy, were both trying to crack that barrier. And uh, in May of 1954, he did that. He broke the barrier in a windy race, a race with a lot of crosswinds. And then right after him, very recently, John Landy also broke the four-minute mile. So now you have two men within the same summer who have run a mile in four minutes, less than four minutes. Came in Vancouver, uh, Canada, these two men met up and they raced together. And there's an old black and white video clip, you can find it on the internet of the race, it's worth watching. Because as they raced, John Landy was thought to be the faster runner and he kept lowering that over time. And as he took off, you know, lap one, Landy's in the lead a little bit. Lap two, Landy's put a little time on everybody, a few steps. Roger Bannister's number two, second in the race. Lap three, same situation. Landy's out in front, several paces, Bannister's back. But everybody knows Bannister has a great kick at the end. And as they come around that fourth lap, they come around the last corner, and Landy is on the inside, and he's running hard, and he looks like this, back over his left corner, uh, shoulder, to find out where is his opponent. Do you know where he was? Flying by on the right to win the race. Now, it's the first time in history two men ran less than the four minutes. But Roger Bannister won it. And he probably won it because the other man looked back. Now, when you're racing, you don't look back. And Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. It doesn't mean you can't remember it anymore. And this morning, as you think about running for the prize, there are some things that you're probably going to have to forget. Which means I set them aside so they don't slow me down in the race. And this morning I want to challenge you. What is it that's holding you back? 
Is it anger? Is it lust? Is it some sinful thing? Is it a memory you have? Is it something that's happened to you? What is it that's holding you back from being the person God created you to be? You may have to forget that. Put it behind you. Don't let it be a weight on your running to pursue the prize. Does that make sense to you? You follow that? So I want to encourage you this morning to run and to race. Another thing, when you're racing, uh, you don't race through and wave in the grandstands, do you? You don't look back. You don't wave at the spectators. How many of you watched American Idol this week? Oh, you're out racing or something. Yeah, a few of you. The young lady that won, Jordan. You know, there's this huge place they were at in New York City, and she won this singing contest, if you don't know what I'm talking about. And uh, 74 million people voted. A lot of people in America watch this. And uh, as, later, after she was uh, interviewed, when she was interviewed, she said, they said, what was it like when they announced you were the winner, and this whole place is thundering with applause? And you know what she said? I never heard it. She was so nervous and excited, she said, all I could hear was my heart pounding in my chest. That's all I could hear. Well, that's, that's like the winner in the circle. And when we arrive at the winner's circle in Christ Jesus, when we arrive there, God wants to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've run well. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I'd like to put in your head what Roger put in my head so that when I'm out there riding a mountain bike and I think, what on earth am I doing out here? I hear those words, Dad, this is a race. Race. You can rest when you get in. And my friends, this is your life. It's your only life. You can do something else when you get to heaven. But there are only things, there are things you can only do here and now. This is serious. Let's run to pursue the prize Christ has for us in Christ Jesus. This morning I want to encourage you to ponder your purpose. Why on earth are you here? Why are you breathing air? What is God's dream for you? And will you dream that dream? I'd like to conclude this morning this way. We're going to stand and sing a great song in just a moment. And I'd like to ask you if you would say, Steve, I do want to run well. I want to run to win. Like Paul, I want to pursue the prize, strain towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the call God has on my life. If you'd like to say, Steve, I am responding yes to the message today, then when we're standing, I'm going to ask you to come down forward and just stand here. And we're going to pray together as we close this time out. But it would be your response to saying, yes, God help me. I want to run and I want to run well for Jesus Christ. So shall we stand and as we sing, I'll invite you to come forward and we we can pray together.